Well, good morning to you all. It's good to uh, be together with you. And um, can I have the, the lights above, please? Otherwise, I'll have to break out my glasses. And my pride just can't quite take it yet. It's coming, I know, I know, and I'm holding off as long as I can. <laughs> if you would open your Bibles, please, to uh, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew 1, and we're going to be finishing uh, this chapter today in our Advent series, and uh, let me read for us. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pause in our morning to draw our attention to you and come together before you in this way. Father, we uh, often are distracted by what has come before or what might come after. I pray that this morning we would be focused uh, here and now on your word, that you would do your work in our hearts, that your spirit would be at work even as your word is spoken about your son, that you would redeem some, that you would be at work sanctifying others, that you would be lifting up Christ by your spirit through the proclamation of your word through all of it. We worship you this morning and we look forward to you ministering to us in these next few minutes. We pray for your help, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to uh, draw attention to uh, all of the shorter people and remind you that uh, Brianna uh, will be um, taking your responses. There's a, a special bulletin for the children. If your child doesn't have one of those, uh, you can get one, and uh, inside it there are some questions, there are some, uh, some little puzzles and things to keep them engaged in the sermon as we are going through this time, and uh, for those who, um, you know, would rather draw or are not able to write or whatever, there's a place there where they can uh, draw something that, that comes to mind from the sermon to keep them engaged in what's going on, and so 
that's our effort there. And for the rest of you, you have an outline, and, uh, and you can use that uh, to follow along in what we're talking about today uh, to keep you engaged in what's going on. We will have the Lord's Supper at the end of our time today, and so if you've not uh, gotten the elements, um, you will need to um, steal from your neighbor. I don't know if that's allowed or not. Um, or just get up and go to the back, in which case I'll try not to call too much attention to you. But uh, we're, we're going to be doing that later, so you, you'll want to be prepared uh, for that. We uh, are working through the passages regarding Advent, and in um, this one particularly today, I, I, as I was reading through it, I hadn't really put it together in my thinking, but, but as I was reading through it, any of you who had had extensive conversation with Jim O'Brien knew that he was eventually going to get around to Emmanuel. And uh, that aspect of Jesus being God with us was very important to Jim. And uh, I'm going to miss him. I was very saddened to hear of his passing. And, um, and I don't know uh, what services and whatnot will be. We will attempt to let you know when we can find out something uh, like that. But uh, this, this passage, he would have loved to have heard preached. And uh, he can talk to Emmanuel face-to-face right now. And so, uh, what a glorious thing for him. And here we are, and we're in, in anticipation of that time, and we get to focus today on the birth of our Savior. And um, anyone who knows me knows that uh, I like to read, and I've loved to read for a long time. I spent a, a lot of time before I ever became a Christian reading, and it was novel after novel after novel. I just love stories. I love to read stories. And uh, I spend less time reading stories now, but something fascinating and, and wonderful about reading a well-told story is that you are being taken along through the story and you're following characters and what they're doing and you're seeing the decisions that they have to make and the things that they're up against, the opposition and, and all that kind of stuff. And here you sit as the reader and you're usually given perspective. You know what's going on more than the character does. And the character will make this decision and they'll go that way and you're thinking, no, don't do that, don't do that, you want to go this way and... And you have a perspective watching the whole thing, right? Because you're a, 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 a you know, third party watching this thing. You're getting to see you have a different perspective. You're not, you're not down there. And, and, uh, and so that, that issue of perspective and being informed as the reader by the author of what we ought to see, what's going on in this circumstance, and you get to see other people's hearts perhaps that, that the, the main character of the story doesn't get to see, or perhaps you get to know what happened in the past that this person doesn't get to know. Perspective is important. And in our passage today, there's an aspect of that that is going on in, uh, in this story. Our first uh, point that we're going to look at, just the first couple of verses, a misunderstood miracle and a just man. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So we're going to have the story told. We're going to have it laid out for us. It's going, to, it's going to be made plain to us what's going on here. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, let's pause there for a minute and talk about what this betrothal notion is. It's like engagement, but souped up, okay? The betrothal was a commitment period that a young couple would have. It was usually about a year long, and the husband would uh, be preparing his house and, and getting ready and whatnot, and 
the, the betrothed woman who would be the wife, or you could call her the wife, uh, she's still with her parents until the time when they come together. So they're living apart, but they're betrothed to one another, they're committed to one another, and actually in this passage it refers to Joseph as her husband. So it's much stronger than engagement. You know, engagements nowadays, we can enter into them, you know, as a, you know, a young man and a young woman, they decide they're going to get married, they, they get engaged, they can break it off. And it's kind of a no-fault situation. You know, you break it off for one reason or another. It's sad, it's heartbreaking, but it's not, you know, front, front page news, it's not... Um, it's not like a, a, a divorce. It's not like the breaking of that kind of a relationship. Well, this betrothal is what they are in the midst of. And so here you've got Joseph and you've got Mary, and uh, they are betrothed and they're in that, that period before they've come together, right? So they're engaged, but it's much more than an engagement. They, in, in, in many senses, they're considered already to be husband and wife. And when when, uh, when Jesus' mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, so still during that betrothal period, she was found to be with child. Uh-oh. This is the engagement period. They've not yet come together. They've not yet consummated their marriage. They've not uh, been joined. They've not been uh, married. They've not, they're not living together. She shouldn't be with child. Joseph knows that it's not him. And in every other instance of pregnancy, in the entirety of the human race, there's been a man involved. His, his assumption, which is a safe assumption, a very, very safe assumption, is that she has been uh, with another man. And so you can imagine the, the consternation that would arise. You can imagine the heartbreak for this young man who was about to enter into marriage, and he finds that his partner, the one that he has been waiting to join together with for their marriage, has actually turned up to be pregnant. That's the only logical conclusion is that it's been uh, from another man who's done this since he knows it's not him, and so his natural conclusion is that she's an adulteress. That's what that would be considered in this context. She would be considered an adulteress. And so by everything that he sees, by all that he understands about the world, he hasn't jumped to a conclusion. It's the only logical conclusion. He's not being presumptuous. He's not uh, taking liberties. He's not being mean. He's, not, he's just looking at the facts. My wife-to-be turned up pregnant. I wonder how that happened. There's no question. There's no question whatsoever. He knows. He knows for certain. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. Well, the Bible talks about uh, what the law's requirements for this are. And if you want to go and look through this, Deuteronomy chapter 22 will lay that out for you. And, and it's worth studying. You see a lot of justice going on in that passage uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 2. But, uh, but there's a situation where it describes what you are to do if a, um, a woman who is betrothed um, and they, they come together and and she's found that she's been with a man, the, the husband finds she's been with a man before, that, that breaks that relationship. That causes real problems. There's, there's, uh, um, that's cause for divorce, for annulment in a sense. He can, he can put her away. And, and, uh, and then there are other uh, stipulations you'll be happy to know in the same passage in Deuteronomy in case he falsely accuses her. You'll want to know that too. This isn't just 
you know, like they're on a witch hunt for women and, and all women are bad and all women are immoral or something like this. this that, that's not what's going on. That's not the perspective in Deuteronomy chapter 22. That's not the perspective in the Bible at all, though the world would have us believe that, that we would say such audacious things about women. But in that passage, in Deuteronomy 22, it makes very clear what's going to happen to, uh, to the man who gets married and goes into his now wife, and then he comes out and throws a fit and says, she was an immoral woman. She'd been another man before. Well, if it's found to be false, the elders of the city will whip him. He will pay the bride price to the father of this young woman, and he will marry her, and he may never divorce her. There's, there's justice done. There's justice done. So, but in that passage, it's important for us to, to see that there were, the law uh, was, had something to say about this situation. And Joseph was a just man. He was a good man. He followed the law. And he would know, I've got options before me. And they're going to end in uh, the dissolution of this engagement, the dissolution of this marriage. While Jesus' mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. From the Holy Spirit. Joseph knows what happened, doesn't he? By all logical rules, by every you know, examination, by science, he knows what happened but it ain't necessarily so. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, not knowing, of course, this, was, uh, this child was by the Holy Spirit, having uh, understood everything, thought through everything. He knows how the world works. It's not a question in his mind what has happened, and yet... He was a just man, and he was unwilling to put her to shame, so he resolved to divorce her quietly. He decided he wasn't going to go to the papers with this. He wasn't going to write about it on Facebook. Pretty bad way to break up, right, to do so on Facebook and air all your dirty laundry and all that kind of stuff, right? He decided not to do that. He's still thinking this is the result of immorality, but, you know, I don't want to drag her name through the mud. I'm not trying to hurt her. I'm not trying to ruin her. I'm not trying to ruin anyone else. And so being a just man, he decides that he's going to put her away quietly. He's going to divorce her, but do so on the down low. He doesn't want to make a big deal out of it. So he decides to put her away quietly, which if we thought about it, he had, humanly speaking, by all that we can see, he had every right to have made a big stink but he decides not to. He didn't want to do that. And I think before we move on to uh, our next point, there's a, a point of application here for us, that even when we are doing something for justice, we can still do it with kindness. I appreciate uh, conversations I've had with, uh, with a family member who used to work in corrections, and the way he would tell stories about his time uh, working with the inmates and, and whatnot, I was, I was struck by how interesting many of the stories were, but but struck even more so by his kindness and respect that he showed towards the inmates. It was Mr. So-and-so, and it was yes, sir. He was kind and he was gentle, and he was in a situation where 
He's, he's the corrections officer, and this person is a convicted criminal, and yet he was respectful. I'm always um, interested when, when I talk to Richard about, uh, about his goings-on, his responsibilities in law enforcement and whatnot, and he has the same attitude, very respectful. Though he's doing what is right, he's doing what's just, and he, he might have, uh, he might feel like, you know, he could be a little bit, um, you know, this person's been convicted, and he really is a criminal, so we could talk about him like he's a criminal, and, but no. So we can, even when we are doing something for justice, we can do it kindly, and, and that's something we can learn kind of in passing here from Joseph, that he was a just man, and so he resolves to put her away quietly. That is, he resolves to divorce her quietly. This brings us to point number two in verse 20. Revelation is required to make sense of this situation. Can you imagine their conversations? No, really, Joseph, there was no one, I'm telling you. Oh, come on. I mean, come on, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night, okay? This is pretty clear what went on. Can you imagine how she would plead her case? And she would never be able to make headway. She's got nothing to prove it. She's got nothing to, 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 to prove this is so, to convince Joseph. And he was a just man. It takes revelation to make sense of what's going on. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, he's thinking about it, he's pondering how he's going to do it, when he's going to do it, what would be the best way, and, and how can I keep you know, the gossips from getting a hold of this juicy information, and he, all that plan that he's making... As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. We've had a Joseph before who was a dreamer. And I think it's interesting that Matthew, who has made such a point in working through the genealogy of, of showing identification with the Old Testament and the thrust and the story of the Old Testament, that here he talks about Joseph the dreamer, like Joseph the dreamer in Egypt who found himself in Egypt, who found himself the prime minister of Egypt. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. What a message. But I, I have questions, Mr. Angel, sir. I'm supposed to marry her anyway? There's precedent in the law. I have my rights, but the angel says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Finally, the explanation comes from a source that he could believe, an angel from heaven, an angel of the Lord coming and bearing the message. This baby, this pregnancy is indeed from God. She is not an immoral woman, quite the opposite. But it takes revelation from God to convince Joseph of that. It would take revelation from God to convince anyone of that. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Fascinating fact in passing here regarding Joseph, 
he ends up with the naming responsibilities of the child. It's, it's Mary's baby. It's not his. It's Mary's baby. And yet he has the authority. He's been given the authority. He's been given the responsibility, the position to name the child. He's told what to name the child, but he will be the one who does it. He's the stepdad. He's taking responsibility. He's taking ownership. He's identifying himself and saying, this isn't just some, you know, illegitimate child or, or some child that I don't really know where he can. He's not a stray. Joseph takes ownership, and he is the one who names him. He adopts him, as it were, as stepdad, and he's to give him the name Jesus Joshua, Yahweh saves. That's the name the angel tells him to give. You shall call his name Jesus. Jesus being the Greek, and it's our version of pronouncing what is Greek, and Greek is the, the Greek Jesus is, is parallel to the Hebrew for Joshua. Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. Jehovah saves. That is who Mary is going to give birth to. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Can you imagine being in Joseph's position? Before this dream happened, he's, he's you know, fallen asleep that night. He's pondering when he's going to dump her and how he's going to resolve all of this and how he's going to keep it quiet, and, and he doesn't want to hurt her, and he doesn't want to hurt her family, and he, he's kind of agonizing about this, and he's lying in bed. There is zero way he could figure this out on his own. It absolutely required revelation from God for him to figure this out. And folks, this is, this is not unlike many doctrines we believe. There's a difference between religious studies and theology. R.C. Sproul is fond of pointing out that religious studies are the, the thinkings about God that arise from man working their way up towards God, from the perspective of man looking towards God and what must he be like. We're thinking about him, we're philosophizing, we're doing religion, religious studies. We're talking about your religious experience and your religious experience and we're making connections as opposed to theology, which is dependent upon revelation, where God says, here I am, and this is what you need to know about me. He speaks to us. He tells us what is true. He tells us about things we could never reason our way to. The Trinity? You're going you're to start with reason? You're going to sit here in a conversation without revelation and arrive at the Trinity? It's not going to happen. You're never going to arrive at that sort of spiritual truth about God. We've talked about Romans chapter 1. We've talked about Psalm 19 and natural revelation and things that are revealed by, the, by nature around us, the, the fact of God's existence, and, and we will give an account to Him. And since He's our Creator, that, that means that we're accountable to Him and we must obey Him and things like that. But, but it's pretty vague. And it's not really specific. We've got, we've got the, 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 the law, in a sense, written on our heart that, that even, even the Gentile who doesn't have a law at all yet finds himself doing what the law requires sometimes, even though he doesn't have the law because he's got it here. There's testimony within man that God exists and, and certain things that he expects, but it's limited. It can, it can reveal enough for for us to be held accountable before God. 
But there is no revelation within man. There is no revelation within nature that would be adequate for us to be redeemed and be at peace with God. No tree is going to tell you about Jesus. No stirring of the heart of the unbeliever is going to tell him about Jesus, about salvation in Christ. We require revelation. We require special revelation from God. We require Him to speak to us truths about Him. How could Joseph have figured this out? You know, give him a while. How long would it have taken for him to figure this out? He would never have figured it out. Even when, you know, baby Jesus turns into little boy Jesus, and oh, he's not throwing fits like other toddlers do, and oh, he's not, he's not hitting his brother like, like uh, the kid down the street, and, and he, he always tells the truth. And he, like, but he still wouldn't figure out, oh, this, is, <laughs> this, this, this baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He would never, literally never, arrive at that conclusion. It requires revelation from God. How can the natural mind hope to grasp supernatural truths without someone from the outside to speak to us? The answer is we can't, and we never would. We require special revelation. And so a point of application here before we move on, we need to turn our minds to God's special revelation, which is the Bible if we hope to understand spiritual things. We're not going to discern it by uh, rooting around in here, inside my heart, and trying to see what God must be like because this is what I'm like, or this is what God must provide because this is what I feel like I need. We're not going to arrive at truth about who God is, even by a conversation with one another that's not biblical. What's your Christian experience like? Oh, well, mine's like this. Huh, I wonder what that says about God. No, we need to turn our minds to Scripture. We need to look to the special revelation from God, whereby God, who is supernatural, speaks to the natural, speaks within it about truths concerning Himself in a way that we could never arrive at on our own. We must have the Bible. And praise God, we have the Bible. And if you don't like the translation you have, you can get another one or 20. And if you don't like any of those, you can go learn Greek and Hebrew, and you can read it yourself. It's there. It is here. We have God's revelation. It is not kept from us, this special revelation of Scripture. So we need to turn our minds to it. We need not to ignore it. Don't set it aside. Don't don't breeze through it and and, uh, or or play Where's Waldo? You know, you know the where Where's Waldo Bible reading? That's where you're reading it looking for yourself, right? I'm sure this is about me somewhere. I'm sure, well, yeah, Romans 3 is about me. All right? We don't play Where's Waldo. We read Scripture to, to see what God has to say to us. And you know what God has to say to us is what we're talking about today. God with us is our Savior. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jim would have cheered right there. In order for us to be saved, God must be with us. If God wanted to save us, 
Why didn't he just give some strategic and well-timed visions and dreams to show people the way to be saved? If God was trying to save us, all He had to do was just give us a comprehensive list of rules of how to serve Him, how to obey Him. Probably a ten would be enough. For God to rescue a people from the sinfulness of this world, He could have simply given them a land in which to dwell, safe and secure from their enemies and and from all temptations. And God's working to save His people. Surely, He could have had them construct a special building where they could go and they could meet together and worship Him there. If the Lord's desire was to save a people, why didn't He just send the occasional prophet to correct their errors and to show them a clear path for knowing and walking with Him? Well, I'm being facetious because He did every one of those things and they were not saving. Add them all up, and they were not saving. They did not redeem sinful mankind. They were all loving and gracious demonstrations of God's precious and special care for us, His powerful, wonderful works. But those things didn't save people. It requires God with us to save people. God Himself must enter in and be with His people, must be with us in order for us to be saved. This is why Paul says in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. All of those things, all of those steps God had taken were all gracious steps, and they were all building towards something. But without Emmanuel, none of them or all of them would not have accomplished salvation because you and I have a sin problem. You and I have a rebellion that goes deep within. And by the way, it, it fogs our mind so that we even have difficulty assessing natural revelation. That even understanding what the tree is trying to tell us or what, what our heart is trying to tell us, the natural man's mind is, is, is affected by sin. And even, even ours as Christians, we struggle with that. Our mind doesn't grasp things like it ought to. It draws inappropriate conclusions. We require more than just those things given in the Old Testament. We require a Redeemer to come onto the scene, to be one of us so He can stand in our place both in His obedience because it turns out you and I have not been obedient to God. He can stand in our place and obey where we have not, keeping God's law perfectly in every spot, obeying on our behalf and then dying in our place fulfilling the law and its demands towards us, people like us, we who have sinned and and deserve death under the law, and yet He fulfills that by taking that upon Himself. We require the fulfillment of God's law. We require the removal of that, that stain and that guilt of sin. And no amount of sacrificing of bulls and goats could do it. 
No amount of, of purifying of the temple and appropriate worship in the temple could do it. No amount of hearing from the prophet, get your act together, could do it. We require one to step in our place. We require one of us to do it right because there had never been one. And it wasn't going to be you and it wasn't going to be me. And so he, Emmanuel himself, comes on the scene born as this little baby, born of a virgin. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, in talking about why the virgin birth is so important. He says, had he, Jesus, had he been of a sinful father, how should he have possessed a sinless nature? Where would the child of a sinful father have gotten a sinless nature? He wouldn't have. Jesus is born of a woman that he might be human, but not by man that he might not be sinful. We require the virgin birth. It's not a good idea. It's not a concoction of some theologian who was trying to shore up a weak argument. It's not something we can let go. And that's our application for this point here. Don't think lightly of the virgin birth. And when you hear it attacked, when you hear it disregarded, don't back off. Stand for the virgin birth. You may not understand it. You may not be able to explain it super well. Do not give in. We must have a Savior who is born of a virgin. Otherwise, He's like us, just a little better. But He's not going to be that sinlessly perfect one who could stand in our place. And so He is not born of Joseph. He is not born of some other illicit relationship. He is not born of any man, though He is born of a woman. He is human like us, just as human as us, but without the sin, without the sin nature. And so, don't think lightly of the virgin birth. 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, fully God, fully man, just as human as we are human. Did you know sin is not an essential element of what it means to be human? Adam and Eve didn't have sin, and they were just as human as we are. It's just tainted. It's just polluted since sin entered the world through that first couple. So sin is not an essential element. Now, we all have it in common, every single one of us since Adam and Eve, everyone who is born by natural descent. Was Jesus born by natural descent? This wasn't natural. This was supernatural. This was the Spirit of God conceiving this child in the womb. This one who would be our Savior. Verse 23 is powerful. All this took place, verse 22, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. 
They shall call his name Emmanuel. Words spoken centuries before, as we heard in our reading earlier, that hope would come when the virgin conceived and Emmanuel was born. Hundreds and hundreds of years before. And Matthew pulls this out and says, what has just happened, this story with Mary conceiving by the Holy Spirit, this this child and giving birth to this child with Joseph as husband who becomes stepdad, all of that happened to fulfill that. Hope has come. Hope has come. Salvation has come. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God himself, not just sending prophets, not just sending dreams, not just building a building somewhere, with us, as one of us, that he could obey in our place, that he could be put to death in our place that He would be raised from the dead so that you and I, by faith in Jesus, have our sin placed on Him and executed, have His righteousness credited to our account, and have new life and a guarantee of the resurrection. All because of Emmanuel. All because of God with us, who is our Savior. And so we come now to the Lord's Supper. That's our final point of application. As we think about the birth of Jesus, we're pointed towards what He's going to do, that how will Jesus, He who will save His people from their sins, how will the one named the Lord saves, how will He save us? Well, He does so on the cross. He does so at the culmination of it all, having obeyed, having fulfilled the law by all obedience, He steps in and He fulfills the law which is commanded for your disobedience and my disobedience to punish that to the death, which He did on the cross. And so, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we come to the elements here, we have to recognize this that we do is for believers to do. This is for Christians to do. We who realize our only life is to be found in Emmanuel, God with us. We who have been redeemed by faith in Christ, this is for us. And so if you, if you don't know Christ, if you're kind of confused about the things that I've said or you, uh, you know you don't believe it, just, just ponder the words that we say, but don't participate in this. Don't, don't take this. This is for those who find their entire sustenance, their entire hope in Emmanuel, God with us. So let this pass. And for... Christians, we who are about to take this, we're reminded as we, as we are pointed towards the death of Christ, we're reminded why, for me, He died. It was for my sin. It was for your sin. And by the way, my sinning didn't end when He died on the cross, and my sinning didn't end when I became a Christian. My sinning has not ended and won't until I die. And that's the same with you. And so we have sin and we have reminders of those things. And one of the, the graces, one of the blessings that, we, that God gives us in our sin is the reminder that we are still in need. We are still dependent upon Him. 
And so even as we come to the elements now, and we're going to uh, take the bread together shortly, and we're going to take the cup together shortly, this is an opportunity for us to examine our hearts and realize, oh yeah, there's still sin. And we confess it to Him. And, and what do we find? Forgiveness. Jesus already died for that. And we find hope. And we find courage. And we find joy. And we find peace with God. We had peace with God, but we don't always feel it sometimes because of our sin. And when we recall that our sin has been placed upon Jesus and executed in Him, that God has accepted that, and we know that He has accepted that because He raised Jesus from the dead, the payment has been made, we find hope and we find joy. We find freedom and life. We come to the bread. In 1 Corinthians 11, in verse 23, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Let's pray. Father, we hold in our hand a, a representation, a, a reminder, uh, an element that points us toward Jesus. And Him giving His own life on our behalf to redeem us. And we rejoice and we praise You for Jesus. And even holding this bread and thinking about Jesus' sacrifice, His death on the cross, I'm reminded that my sin put Him there. And that I still have vestiges, instances I still have sin, and I confess that to you, and I pray that you would forgive me, and I rejoice that in Jesus you forgive me of my sin. Thank you for Him living the life that I couldn't live and dying the death in my place, that I would have peace with you by faith in Him. And so even as we partake of this together in a, in, a, in a moment, it is by faith that I am reminded of what Jesus has done and receive it even today in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. Father, we hold in our hand a representation of Jesus' blood by which he established a new covenant, a covenant where he has accomplished all the work and it becomes mine by faith in Christ. That I have peace with you, not because of my effort, not because I have cleaned up my life, not because I have anything, because of what Christ has done 
And all of that is mine by faith. Thank you for Jesus who gave his blood for that purpose. To give us peace with you in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to pray for us again in in just a moment, but before I do that, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, First, children, if you filled out your bulletin, uh, Miss Brianna will be over here to talk with you. She would love to talk with you. Um, Secondly, it is is that uh, Sunday of the month where uh, we take an offering for benevolence to help out those who uh, are in financial need. And so uh, there's a box in the back of the auditorium there, and in the foyer there's a plate. You can do that there. And there will be a couple up front who would love to uh, pray with you uh, once I'm done praying. So if you have questions about what we talked about today, if you, um, if you need prayer for something else, you want to praise God, uh, this couple would love to do that with you. Let me pray for us, and then we will be dismissed. Father, we are grateful for... Uh, this first chapter of Matthew that has pointed us to Jesus and pointed us to what Jesus is going to do. Emmanuel, who will save us from our sins. We praise you for Jesus, for you sending your Son. We praise you that that He accomplished uh, the work that we couldn't do and did so on our behalf. And we praise you that by your Holy Spirit, the benefits of that are applied to every believer. We rejoice in Jesus. And we pray in His name. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. God bless you all and you are dismissed.